Greetings, shipmates. Welcome to this edition of Voyage of Rediscovery, a commemoration of the fall 1998 journey on Semester at Sea. Before we jump in, or shall I say dive in, a reminder that you can follow our voyage, access other conversations, check out all participant bios, learn about and contribute to the Fall 1998 Commemorative Scholarship, as well as order swag from sas25th.com, and that's sas25th.com. Dolphins portside! All right, excuse me, let's start the show. In today's episode, we speak with Michael Rubenstein. Mike attended Bucknell University and was born in Chappaqua, New York. For Mike, Semester at Sea was a way to get off of campus in central Pennsylvania and a real challenge for himself and his comfort level at the time. He'll also share a story about an overnight in India, one that still affects him to this day. Hop on board, everyone. The ship is leaving. So traveling back in your mind, how did you hear about Semester at Sea and what inspired you to go? I can't put my finger on exactly how I heard about it. I definitely remember seeing flyers for Semester at Sea up in the, uh, you know, like the study abroad office at Bucknell. Obviously, these were in the um, infancy of the internet. So I don't think it was anything on the internet. I think it was literally flyers on the wall. And I think I heard that somebody who was a year ahead of me, who uh, I knew to be an awesome and interesting guy was currently on it when I was a sophomore, he was a junior. And it just sounded like a dream to be able to visit all these countries. I was feeling very confined at Bucknell. Uh, it was a very, what you might imagine central Pennsylvania to be like at that point in the late 90s. You know, it wasn't a terribly diverse school as far as um, race, religion, uh, economic status. I mean, there was some diversity, but I was really just kind of desperate to flee that campus and do something really crazy as far as I was concerned, especially because I had dealt with plenty of homesickness when I was younger. So at that point, you know, I was like really ready to challenge myself and thought, you know, there's nothing that I can do more to challenge myself than getting on a, a big old cruise ship, which I, I'd never been on. I mean, I'd been on like a little motorboat for a, an hour or two in my life, but nothing like this. And to sail around the world for 100 days sounded like uh, the best challenge ever. So that was kind of the, uh, the jumping off point. Amazing. When you decided to go, obviously there's this adventure outlined ahead of you and you're looking forward to it. Was there a specific country or destination that you were more looking forward to than others? All of them, I, I would say probably uh, I was less interested in some like Italy that I thought were, you know, going to be um, more like what I was used to living in 
America at that point. I was an anthropology major and I was really interested and fascinated by cultures everywhere, but especially cultures from um, countries that felt incredibly foreign to me or you know, people whose lives couldn't be more different from my own. So I guess that's what I was really excited for. Places like India, Vietnam, countries that at that point people were, you know, referring to as developing countries. You know, I kind of had this vision in my in my head of, um, you know, sort of experiencing traditional cultures. I, I feel like I had a lot of preconceived notions about what what each of these places would be like and what I realized in retrospect, I guess I kind of had this vision that, you know, uh, in order to experience these places in their truest sense, I had to have a certain kind of experience. And later on, I during the, the, the journey, I realized that that was not the case. And I've been learning that ever since that, you know, all these places are so complex. There's not one, these cultures are not static, essentially, is what I'm trying to get at, I guess. Yeah, no, I understand it. Absolutely. Um, they're definitely not monolithic and there isn't a single way that you go about them. So I've had conversations with others and the first port when we got to Japan put a lot of preconceived notions, I suppose, into question or it was the most shocking because people had anticipated they'd get off the ship and maybe folks would be able to converse with them. And instead, it was diametrically different than what the day-to-day -day was like in the States. Was that your experience in Japan or did you have that kind of experience somewhere where you arrived, maybe you thought it was going to be a particular way and it was completely different than what you anticipated? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. That's exactly what I experienced in Japan. And you're right. I think, you know, I mean, you know, you'd always heard about the uh, crazy technology that was um, so common there. And I guess I, I definitely anticipated that more people would speak English. Uh, but I, I remember specifically, I don't know if it was in a train station or or where, but I mean, there was no signage in English whatsoever. I remember being shocked at that and feeling, you know, excited by that, but also definitely some trepidation. And, you know, I remember that first night off the ship, it was dark and I feel like it was raining. I was with one other, one other guy from the ship and we found some small inn or, or, uh, motel or hotel and again you know nobody there spoke English and just you know trying to uh, trying to communicate again it was exciting and thrilling and uh, also uh, definitely uh, just eye-opening. One of the themes that I've heard we talk a bit about technology and I don't necessarily want to force the issue around technology but the absence of it at that point in time when you encounter one of these cultures where it is so unfamiliar and you don't have the language, it does sometimes lend itself to something magical in that it's almost 
miraculous that you made it back to the ship, given the fact that you were like somewhere in the world and could speak to no one, yet you found your way back to the way out. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. And I, as you were saying that, I was realizing that if I were in that situation now, I would instantly open my phone and look to Google Translate or something. Um, and I know actually specifically in Japan, a lot of that has changed too. And now there is plenty of signage in English, but you're, you are absolutely right. It was definitely magical and otherworldly to come to those understandings with people through body language and plenty of smiles and gestures to, uh, to help figure out what, you know, what each of you were, were trying to say. It was, it was a, it was an awesome time. I'm so glad that we got to experience that before, before phones. Before technology ruined everything. I mean, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I, uh, I appreciate that within the historical context for sure. So were there any standout moments for you, memories, destinations that were just more special than others? So I, I think one of the most memorable for, for me was in India. I was definitely nervous to do everywhere. I was nervous to kind of uh, travel on my own. So I signed up for a lot of the, the specific excursions that Semester at Sea offered. And one of them that they offered in India was an overnight to a Dalit village, which I think... Formerly, uh, you know, Dalit people were referred to as uh, like the lowest caste or the untouchable caste in India. And it was just a, an incredible experience. I feel like we took a bus from Chennai. There was a really fantastic Dalit woman who was kind of leading this excursion. And she was singing songs um, that were uh, songs of activism and civil rights type songs related to the Dalit community. And, uh, you know, we, we got there late in the day and people was just this absolutely overwhelming and incredible experience having this basically a village kind of welcome all of us with drums and music it felt like the entire village was out to greet this group of young university students who really didn't know what they were getting themselves into or why they were there and they just treated us with such kindness and generosity uh, we slept in a schoolhouse and i remember i i guess you know semester c had provided or maybe the village provided some um, boxed meals for dinner and the whole schoolhouse was surrounded by members of the community who were just staring in through the through the windows watching us eat and i remember just you know feeling like i am so far from home and i wish that i could you know really get to know these people for more than just this one night but even that one day and night alone was just incredible walking around the village and uh, meeting people and being invited into their homes and learning about the struggle that these Dali people have faced for generations and continue to face. So that was definitely an incredible highlight. Oh yeah, it sounds like it really touched you. You know, without putting you on the spot, do you think that that moment in and of itself or that experience shaped 
any of your actions, activities, things you focused on moving forward? I remember looking back on those 24 hours regularly for years. And I, you know, I hadn't thought about it in a long time until you asked that question. It definitely was a life-changing event. I, I can't, I don't know that I can point to anything concrete that I would say resulted from that experience, but I mean, I, I can still 25 years later, I can see the, I can clearly see the, the people's faces. I mean, I remember specific people and, you know, moments, you know, holding the hand of uh, some guy who was probably about our age as he led me around the village. I mean, it was that, it's crazy that just one, you know, it was probably less than 24 hours, but I can, um, you know, really clearly recall specific people and how I felt in that moment. And, um, you know, definitely a desire to, I don't, I don't want to say, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to give myself more credit than I deserve, but, you know, uh, I, it, it definitely made me hyper conscious and aware of um, human rights abuses and civil rights abuses. Um, I mean, I, I was interested in, in that. I'm, I'd always inter been interested in learning about that, but it really um, was the first time that that sort of thing was like up close and personal. And um, yeah, but I, I'm, you know, unfortunately, I can't say that I am, I've become like a civil rights attorney or anything as a result of that. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, uh... although at one point I, that was on my uh, to do list. Okay. Well, there's still time, but yes. I, I understand and I certainly appreciate it. And uh, I think we all take from these experiences and it's very difficult to be someone that changes the world as a whole. But obviously, if you can take from that experience, draw from that and impact the individual interactions you have, then that's how we can all uh, make a difference. Rah, rah. Okay. Um, let me ask, do you have any regrets? Were, were there things that you wish you had done, opportunities you didn't seize that, you know, for whatever reason you didn't? Yeah, I guess there are two things. Um, I definitely would have traveled independently more now, although, you know, I, I feel like that's also easier to say now. You know, I, I was just nervous to do it at that point. But I think um, I, I remember hearing about, uh, you know, some of our fellow uh, shipmates who did that. I, I remember there was one guy in particular who I, I think did that in almost every country and just hearing some of his stories traveling far and wide, uh, completely alone in some of these places was inspiring. So I think that that would be one thing that I kind of wished I had done. I didn't do that until Morocco final. I thought you were going to you were gonna say Miami, which would have been um, a little too late. Right. But yeah, that was tail end yeah. there. I decided to like really, uh, again, kind of challenge myself and do that in Morocco. And it was incredible. Um, although I also feel like I was very lucky for it not to go horribly wrong because I took some, some very big risks in doing that. But uh, the other thing that I would say, oh, no, I, no, 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 go, go back to <laughs> go back to the risks. This is the juice, the meat. This is what I want. <laughs> so you you want me to go into that 
So yeah, yeah, sure. Share what so you're share uh, what you're willing to. At that point was like really I was, you know, everybody was talking about like that, oh, the hash in Morocco and everything. And uh so I was like, all right, well, let's see what I can like get into and what I can find. So I, I think I was in Marrakesh and uh, I was just kind of wandering around aimlessly and, you know, some overly friendly uh, guy was like, oh, you know, struck up a conversation. And um, I was like, yeah, he, he seems he seems cool. And so he seems I, trustworthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just uh, kind of trusted my instincts and, uh, you know, just kind of walk around, hanging out, got some food. And he's like, why don't you come back to uh, back to my house and uh, we can hang out with some of my friends. And um, so it was in the Medina and it was dark and I didn't know where I was or I completely lost track of, you know, how to find my way back to where I was staying. And I was definitely very scared. Um, you know, there was like a scene out of a movie, like the, there are dogs barking and like, you know, shadow, shadowy figures in the Medina. And he takes me up like this stairwell into like, you know, one of these Medina houses. And there are like kids crying and there's a woman who, um, seems to be related to to him and he's like we're gonna have some tea and uh then some other guys came over and anyway the uh the magical hash appeared and it was a lot of fun and they were all speaking in arabic but i remember at at one point you know they were just you know i didn't know what was going on it was like five or ten minutes i assume and they were speaking in arabic and he said uh he said, don't worry, we're not talking about uh, how to kill the American. And I was like, <laughs> that makes me feel much better. And I remember the only thing that made me feel slightly comforted was this woman who kept coming out and like refilling the tea. And I was like, okay, there's a, there's a kid over there and there's a woman over there. Like, it's not just me and these, these dudes. So anyway... Uh, I said, I, I think I, I gotta, I gotta head back. And he walked me, showed me to, you know, how to get back to the hotel, and uh, uh, and that was it. That was it. Yeah. So I remember getting That's back amazing. to the hotel and thinking that was awesome, but I can't believe that I'm back in my hotel room, and it all worked out. So yeah, that's just incredible. I have heard, and I experienced those kinds of things too. What's interesting to me is obviously as a younger person, your level of risk tolerance is higher and your willingness to deal with uncertainty can also be higher. But what I think is really amazing about that is that you did take that chance because you were talking earlier about wanting to get away, wanting to experience, but having homesickness, having a desire to be around other people or have scheduled events. And you finally broke out of that mold and you did something completely dangerous might be overstating it but going into something where you didn't know your way visually and you didn't know the language and yet it all worked out for you yeah yep definitely wouldn't do that today you're right my risk tolerance <laughs> is definitely higher <laughs> despite the anxiety and homesickness concerns but yeah it was awesome that's amazing that's amazing yeah. um 
So I want to ask you, I'm going to wrap this up um, pretty soon, but I wanted to ask you about um, being a parent and looking back on your experience, like what are your thoughts on, whether it's semester at sea or whether it's this type of thing, but how do you think about the impact this has had on you when you consider having children and the kind of experience you want to have them have in their formative years? I would love for them to experience what I experienced and more. I definitely understand now why my mom in particular seemed uh, worried about me going, although she really, you know, I realized that she really kept a lot of that in check and she was much more excited for, for me than she, she seemed to be worried. And I worry about my daughters uh, every day going out into the world. But that said, I, I think uh, there are a lot of places on this earth that I would be less worried for them to be in and experiencing than uh, life here in America. Semester at Sea was transformational and I, I would love for them to experience studying abroad, whether it's semester at sea or, uh, or really anywhere. I think it's just, I think it's just vital for people to step outside of their, you know, what they know and what they see as, uh, the norms and experience how other people live. So I would love that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I share a unique connection unlike others that I have with this project in that after semester at sea, we actually, I was thinking about it earlier today and I don't remember how it happened, whether we ran into each other on the street or on a train or something, somehow we connected in New York and we wound up working together at basically a deluxe tour operator working in lower Manhattan and taking people to different parts of the world. That was truly a remarkable coincidence to me. It was. And I can't remember. I feel like you were literally walking out of the office to lunch as I was walking in for my interview. Part of me feels like I, I saw you as I was already in the office and you were at your desk, but I feel like you were, you were walking out to lunch with Mona as I was walking in. And we were like, oh, or maybe it was like on the elevator. It was something crazy like that. But uh, yeah, that was my first job out of school. And I was thrilled to see you. Definitely uh, made my interview a whole lot easier. And I'm sure it's uh, in large part why I got the job because I could, uh, you could vouch for me. And um, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was a blast to work with you. That was a, a great experience. Truly was. It really, truly was. I was so delighted. And uh, I can't think of too many other referrals or endorsements that I could have <laughs> given in a professional setting that I was more excited about than uh, for you. Uh, also at a place where we brought the level of uh, casual attire down to flip-flops and t-shirts. So, uh, But I wanted to segue to that because really one of the, there have been a few moments in my life that I think have been you know, just really pivotal things that you just never forget. And we had a hundred days of that. And some of those hundred days are more clear than others. 
but I mentioned this job not only because in some ways I think it carried on the spirit of adventure that we had of then vicariously living through clients who traveled to different places um, in a far more fancy way than we did, but um, we still got to see it in a pretty privileged manner. Nevertheless, September 11th, 2001, we were both working together at this office, which was in lower Manhattan with a southward facing view of the World Trade Center. And so I feel like you are indelibly marked or connected to me and I to you in not only semester at sea, but in that momentous day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you describing that takes me immediately right back there. And I, uh, you know, unfortunately, I can remember every moment of that entire day that obviously just had a, a global impact and on that day had a global impact. And I feel like we're still dealing with the consequences of that day as a country. I, I did when I was just this morning um, typing your name into the uh, you know, the little search thing to make sure I could find the uh, the link to this Zoom. Your email from, I guess it was 2021 came up on September 11th, 2021, 10 years after just kind of, no, I'm sorry, 2011, 2011, 2011 yeah. checking on me and uh, just reading, you know, what you wrote and my response. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's really uh, kind of odd that we've experienced all of these things together. And I will, I will also say that, um, you know, I was very kind of uh, socially anxious on uh, semester at sea. I had a very small circle. I like was never at the bar. I didn't, you know, do that. I had, I had, I was friends with a lot of the uh, Caribbean crew members more than I was some of the, or a lot of the students. As you mentioned, I was like really into reggae and love talking to those guys about Jamaica or St. Vincent, uh, some of the places they were from and music. And so anyway, the, my circle of students that I, that I became friends with was pretty small. So I, I think it's even cooler that you were one of those and then we ended up, you know, it wasn't, you know, one of the other 490 students that I happened to walk into the office and see. Yeah, well, that pleasure and joy was mine. So I'm um, glad that we have these shared experiences. Anyway, with that, I mean, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. sharing your story with me and, um, it's really great to relive most of these memories, but um, and frankly, all of them. And um, yeah, I appreciate you opening up and making time. Thanks, Alex. It was great. Great speaking to you, too. Thanks for checking out this edition of Voyage of Rediscovery. And don't forget to also check out sas25th.com. That's S-A-S-25-T-H.com for everything fall 1998. We'll see you next time. And remember, if you're not back by 8 p.m., the ship will leave without you.